Have you been thinking about stepping up to director level? Perhaps wondering, am I ready for that? Do I even want to do that? What's important to me in my career? If that's you, or if you're ambitious and long-term want to reach director level, then this episode is going to be super insightful for you. Welcome to the Influence and Impact Podcast for Female Leaders. My name's Carla Miller, and I'm a leadership coach who helps female leaders to tackle self-doubt, become brilliant at influencing, and make more impact at work. I've created this podcast to help you to become a more inspiring and impactful leader. And I want to become the leadership BFF you didn't know you were missing until now. We're looking at how do you prepare for and how do you successfully step into a director role? And the format of today's episode is not me teaching you, but one of our listeners reached out and she has just spent a year or so at director level, promoted internally um, as maternity cover. And she really wanted to share her experiences, her learnings and her lessons. And I think you're going to absolutely love hearing from her. So my guest today is Gabby Field. Gabby was the director of fundraising and comms at Refuge, leading the income generation and communication functions to support women and their children experiencing domestic abuse. She's worked in the charity sector for 10 years, starting as a community fundraiser in a local charity and working across large and medium charities. And whilst her background is in charity sector and fundraising, the insights that she shares in the conversation that we have today will be relevant whatever sector you are based in. Gabby has a real passion for people, their development and their uniqueness that they bring to a team. Uh, She is really passionate about leadership. She embodies growth mindset. And I felt really inspired spending this time talking to her. So we covered topics like how did she decide whether to apply for the opportunity when it came up? What concerns did she have beforehand? How, if at all, did imposter feelings come up for her? And then we talk about her experience of being in the role and what surprised her and what lessons she learned and what she has gone on to do at the end of that maternity cover. Um, She's going to share some things that she wished she'd known at the beginning and she's just beautifully open and honest about her experience. So I think you're going to really, really enjoy this episode. Now, I also want to signpost you to some other episodes where I have done more teaching if this is something that you're interested in. So there's actually five relevant episodes and we'll put the links in the show notes. But there's episode 60, which is about moving from specialist to generalist, which is something that Gabby and I talk about in the episode. That idea of moving from that point where you know all the answers and you know more than the team that you're managing to a generalist where you're managing people who know more about their areas than you do and how you adapt your leadership style and your expectations of yourself and others and communication style accordingly. Then there's episode 41 where I share what I wish I'd known about managing and leading a lot earlier than I actually learned it and there's some fantastic lessons in there. In episode 37 we talk about how to start a new job well In episode 35, we talk about when you're promoted above your peers. Um, And it sounds like Gabby handled that 
beautifully and had a lot of support from the people who were formerly her peers and then became her peers again after the maternity cover. And then finally, episode 30 talks about stepping up to that next level of leadership and some of the lessons I learned and I've learned from coaching and recruiting lots of people moving up to the next level. So in that episode, I talk a lot about the mindset shifts that you need to make when you're moving to that next level of leadership, whatever level that might be. Now, um, what's been going on over here? Well, the confession, I wasn't actually going to bring this episode out this week. In my mind, I was going to do this fantastic episode all about influencing, which would lead nicely into our Influence for Success workshop that's coming up on the 5th of July. Um, But (laughs) the time I had set aside to do that was the time that my little boy managed to have quite a serious head injury at After School Club yesterday. Um, So instead, I was dashing down the road to After School Club, waiting for the ambulance to arrive. They arrived fantastically quickly, which is quite surprising given we're in the middle of nowhere in Cumbria um, and it wasn't a life or death situation. They were there within 15, 20 minutes. I'm incredibly grateful to them. Uh, And then a trip to urgent care to get his head glued. Luckily, despite the vast amounts of blood, uh, it actually wasn't that severe a wound and he was just a bit shaken and shocked, as was I. So when we got home, he watched a bit of Bluey to calm down his nervous system. And when he'd gone to bed, I ate a bit of chocolate and watched a bit of Ted Lasso to calm down my nervous system. Anyway, all fine, but it does mean that I haven't got this fantastic episode on influence for you because I'm now heading off to London. I've been invited to a fantastic event with some brilliant female speakers, people at the top of their field in various sectors um, within industry and within the public sector. So I will have some lessons and insights from that for you in a future episode. I have not been down to London for work for ages. Um, I'm looking forward to catching up with a friend. I'm looking forward to networking. (laughs) A little bit nervous about networking Um, and learning and just having a change of scene from beautiful Cumbria. But sometimes you need to leave your little cocoon, don't you? Um, So what I will do, though, is flag... Please, if you are interested in getting better at influencing upwards and sideways, if you want to get your voice heard when you speak, if you want people to value you and your team more often, if you have to manage complex stakeholder relationships or deal with senior stakeholders, whether they're internal or external, if you want to speak the language of senior stakeholders and have some hacks about how you present to them really effectively, then the Influence for Success workshop is for you. Effectively, It's an influencing upwards and sideways workshop, but we appreciate that might be a little bit tricky to put in front of your boss. So instead, we've called it Influence for Success. Um, We would encourage you absolutely to ask your organization to pay for this. We've tried to keep it relatively low cost. Um, And if you go to my website, you can find it or you can just go to carlamillatraining.com forward slash influence for success. I would love to see some of you on that course. 
Also, which reminds me, someone has signed up for that course who sent me a fantastic message on a day when I was having a really bad day, actually. And she sent a message to say she just wanted to thank me for the podcast. She had listened to the podcast and it had helped her in a really tricky situation. Um, And then later that day, she'd been talking to another colleague and that colleague was worried about having a conversation with a senior stakeholder and she shared with that colleague one of the insights from my dealing with stressful situations episode which was around the cloak of authority and that colleague put it into action loved it and had a fantastic meeting so it was just so nice to hear that the podcast had made a difference um and that my voice is out there helping people and that people are passing the podcast or what they've learned from it on to others. Um, And now that same person has signed up for the Influence for Success workshop. So I'm looking forward to getting to know her then. Okay, let's roll the episode with Gabby. So welcome to the podcast, Gabby. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm really pleased that the sun is still shining and I feel like we've finally stepped into summer this weekend. I know. I'm already starting to get sad about when it's going to disappear, to be honest. <laughs> Me too. Yesterday, it was my, I was having a conversation with my mum and she was like, oh, this month it's the longest day. And I was like, mum, don't tell me that yet. I want to keep the sunlight for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same. Um, so let's start by telling our listeners a little bit about, first of all, why did you decide that you wanted to come on a podcast and talk about your experiences? Let's start there. Yeah. So I, um, I've been the director of fundraising and comms at Refuge doing a maternity cover for the last year. And it has been the first role that I've stepped up into our director and it has been an incredible journey. And I don't think I realised how many people have been speaking to me and asking me about what it was like, what had I learned, what could they learn, particularly people that are looking to take that step up into a senior leadership role. And I think because people were asking me that, I was a bit like, well, there's loads I can share and talk about. And actually, if that helps other people, then great. So um, I follow um, you, Carla, and, and listen to your podcast. And I thought, actually, this is a great audience to be to be able to come and share my my insight, my learnings. And yeah, if it helps somebody else um, to get their next director role, then then fantastic. I love it. I love the idea of giving back and sharing your experiences. And lots of people listening will come from the charity sector um, and quite a few will probably come from fundraising and comms. But the audience is really broad. But what we're talking about here doesn't just apply to a specifically fundraising and comms director role, does it? It's no, no, not at all. Yeah, no. Yeah, that was yeah. This, the specialism of where my directorship was. But yeah, I, you know, the things that I learned very much about leadership, those challenges that come with leadership. Um, and yeah, over that over that year on LinkedIn on my profile, I did regular reflections throughout the whole year, you know, sharing like things that I was struggling with, things that were going really well and just being really open and honest about my journey, really. And I think that stands out. I read those and um, hopefully I commented on some of them. I enjoyed them. And I think it's refreshingly honest and there isn't enough of that I try and be refreshingly honest on LinkedIn as well there's a um, chief exec called Martin Edwards I think he's the chief exec of Julia's house hospice and he does something really similar in terms of sharing his day and what's been going on and the ups and downs and I'm like oh if only more leaders did this so we saw actually you're not superhuman because the director (laughs) role or a chief exec role in fact you have the same struggles as everyone else 
does and you're just trying to do the best you can. Definitely. So tell us a little bit about your background, Gabby, and how you got to this director role. Yeah, so I um, became a fundraiser, community fundraiser, 10 years ago uh, for my local hospice. And I can remember seeing that advert thinking, oh, my God, that's just me in an advert. I could do all of that. Um, And so, yeah, applied for the job and got the job. And I've not looked back since. I've very much through my career, um, worked in local charities and large charities with a specialism around community events, digital mobilisation, that sort of mass acquisition. So I came to Refuge five years ago. um, And since then, the five years that I've been at Refuge have been an incredible journey, both for my own personal development, but actually as an organisation, you know, um, I'm sure you and many of your listeners would know the sort of huge... um, uplift in awareness of refuge through the lockdown and domestic abuse in particular and that in itself that journey we went on as a fundraising and communications team was just incredible um, at that particular period of time and then our director of fundraising and comms at refuge um there was a maternity cover opportunity and I was just at that point thinking am I ready to become a director and for me it was it was a no-brainer to at least go for it and I was you know very, very lucky to to secure the maternity cover and then take on, yeah, my first year as a director within Refuge um, and now looking for uh, my next director role um, in the sector. So still still looking around at the moment to see what there is. But um, yeah, that's sort of my journey to date. And so tell us about that thought process, because I know lots, I coach lots of women, I know lots of them sit in that place of going, oh, there's this opportunity at that next level. Am I ready? It sounds like you had a real drive forwards to to go for it. But what was going on in your head and what was it that made you go, actually, I'm, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring? Mm-hmm. So I, I, and I had a really honest conversation with, with with my director, who is absolutely fantastic. And I, I think my personal development, I owe a huge amount to her at Refuge because she has enabled me to do so many things to grow um, myself. Um, and I think that I'd got to a point that I was a bit bored. And I was like, why am I feeling this? Is this because, you know, you go through that process, don't you? Of like, is it, oh, I don't want to be in this particular charity anymore? Is it this role? Is it this sector? And I spent a bit of time actually with my coach at the time thinking about well what is it I want to do next what does that look like and I think actually the boredom had come because I was sort of ready to really push myself once again really outside of my comfort zone and um, when this opportunity came along I was a bit like I did the classic thing of looking at the JD going well I probably could do about 40% of that maybe I can't do the rest and you know went through that process of oh what would I be taking on and maybe I'm not the right person to do it and but then when I looked at it again, I was like, you know, if there's 40% of it I'm feeling comfortable with and the and the goal for me was to feel uncomfortable because that's when I know I'm learning the best um, and actually when I'm going to be challenging myself the most. And so I decided to apply for it. Um, still thinking, oh, I don't know if I would get it. And then lo and behold, I did. I think when I got told it was that, that absolute elation of, oh my God, I, I got the job. But then suddenly within seconds, that fear comes in of like, oh, now I've got to do the job. <laughs> and what does that look like? And how am I going to make sure that I'm, I suppose, really aware of stepping into this role of what I can bring, what I can't bring, and how I ensure I build that 
that support for myself, both internally and externally, to do the best that I can um, within the role. I love that you've thought all of that through. What support did you need and what support did you find most helpful? Yeah, so um, my CEO, Ruth Davison, was absolutely fantastic. Um, And Louise, before she went on maternity cover, our director of fundraising and comms. And they both, we had a conversation about what support I needed internally, what support I needed from Ruth, what did that look like? But also, I suppose, the recognition that I was going from being a peer to managing my peers. And we spent a bit of time thinking about that. And then again, that external support. So I secured myself three mentors. Not that I had an ambition to secure three, but Louise asked a few people and everyone said, yes, they were willing to help. And I thought, well, I'll have all three. (laughs) Why not? But again, had very different roles with each of my mentors. So one of my mentors is very much that person that when you're having that day, when you think, why did I take this job on? And I just need to have that a bit of event, a bit of a space to be held so I can just process what's happened in particular scenarios. And my other two mentors were a little bit different. One was very much around me and the role as director of fundraising comms and going and problem solving different things I was going through and the other was very much about my leadership style so each had a very different purpose um and again met met them sort of had had one session with one of them at least every six weeks so I think having that external support was really important because sometimes when you're internal and you've got that support you know you're just trying to deliver on the day-to-day as well as having those conversations with my peers, my other senior leadership team members, but also, you know, our CEO as well, you know, getting that sometimes having an external perspective is is really helpful. So that's definitely what I sort of put in place. Um, and just that sort of, I think with myself, I spent a bit of time really thinking about how I was going to approach the role. And I very much thought I need to be the person that asks all the questions because that's the only way I'm going to learn quickly. And I, you know, we've just started the new financial year. I was stepping into a senior leadership team that were, you know, it was a group of our our senior leadership team at that point were all women, hugely successful women in their specialisms in their area, you know, 10 years plus being directors. And there I am stepping in, you know, as my first director role. Um, so I, I really knew that I had to establish myself, my confidence quickly and sort of build that trust in that group. Um, but I knew that I had to ask all the questions and not be the person who leaves a meeting going, oh, yeah, no, I know the answer to that and leave and go, oh, I really don't know the answer to that. Like, oh, I was going to ask all the questions, or which I did. <laughs> I think it is is this myth, isn't it, that leaders should have all the answers. And I always say, no, actually, leaders need to be the ones that are great at asking questions. So it's fantastic that you went in and did that. And we don't build trust at all if we fake it. I hate the fake it till you make it phrase. I'd much rather say, I don't know, that's a great question. Or tell me more about what I need to understand here. So it's fantastic that you went in like that. Mm. Were you experiencing any imposter feelings sitting in that? Oh, yeah. Constant. Yes, definitely. You know, I think that I think because I was like, uh, because I knew this was going to be a learning opportunity, I think because it had a time frame on it, I knew I was only going to be doing it for for 12 months. I was very much thinking about like, what is it I want to achieve in those 12 months? And I was like, you know, this opportunity may not come, you know, it may be that I may not be able to stay as director if our, our permanent director was coming back from maternity leave. So I was like, actually, I'm going to take this opportunity and learn as much as I can. And so the imposter syndrome I would say 
was there throughout. I would say it was more intense to begin with when, you know, I'm trying to reestablish myself in my peer group and having one-to-ones. And again, just having really honest conversations to say, okay, I'm now your manager. Let's have a conversation about this. What do you need from me? What do I need from you? What's important about how we work together? And I think that really helped establish those, I sort of reestablish those boundaries for that period of time. And actually my my heads off, my my management team, I worked really well with over that year. Um, and then within my peer group, um, I can remember a couple of weeks into being the director, we'd been doing some leadership. Uh, we had a leadership program at Refuge for our senior management team and our senior leadership team. And I'd obviously been part of the senior management team cohort. And so this was the first time I'd shifted into the senior leadership team. And the session was about giving feedback. And we had to give feedback, both something really uh, positive, but also some constructive feedback to each of our peers. And I can remember thinking, what have I been working with? these directors for three weeks what could I possibly say but also what are they going to say about me and I can remember that the facilitator came to me and said you know Gabby what what feedback do you want to give and I think the this is a, a point a couple of weeks in that I didn't feel like I'd quite established myself but I also felt like I was a bit of a visitor and that I'm a maternity cover I'm here just for a period of time I'm covering Louise's role you know Louise had been obviously director for, for, for a long time um, at Refuge. And so I can remember giving the piece of feedback to say to everyone in the senior leadership team, you know, I know I'm a maternity cover, but this is my role. This is my full-time role. I can bring a different strength, a different style uh, to Louise. You know, I it's my, my program, it's my team, it's my directorate, and I need you to see me as the director of fundraising comms and not as a visitor. And it was a really interesting conversation because the feedback I got from that was that none of them saw me as a visitor. It was actually me thinking that, me thinking, oh, they don't see me as as director like Louise, you know, I'm, you know, they see me as this new person coming in, like trying to find their feet. And from that moment, Carla, it completely changed. The relationships I had with the directors in a really positive way changed. I felt really confident to ask some things. They were asking me things. And I can remember about six months down the line, I asked for some feedback from each of them. And actually many of them commented to say that they were learning from me. And that was really wonderful to hear because I thought, what possibly could they learn from me? But actually, they learned as much from me as I was from then. Um, but yeah, the imposter syndrome definitely was speckled throughout. And I think it was just that having that time, particularly with my mentors to say, I've had a really bad two weeks and I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to solve this. And just having that space to sort of explore it and go, well, no wonder I don't know what to do because I've never done this before. That could be the reason why I'm feeling it. Or actually it's perfectly normal to feel that because you're really passionate and caring. It's not quite gone to plan. Um, So I think, yeah, it, it definitely got, it wasn't so intense, I think, um, as the 14 months went on, but it was definitely still speckled throughout. That makes sense. I think anytime we step out of our comfort zone and it sounds like you were actively or proactively doing that, it does get really vocal, doesn't it? That it does. and those imposter feelings. And I think when we can articulate them, but articulate them in a confident way not an apologetic way I think that's really helpful yeah um, love that they were learning from you too and the different energy you bought and a different perspective you bought and just your individual and unique insights and approach to things um 
it sounds like they really welcomed you into the group and the organization was better off for having you in that role what was it like when it came to an end because that's always an interesting thing whenever you um promote someone up as an interim when it comes to an end it's like oh this is a bit of a crux point here so what what how did it feel for you as it came to an end or as you knew it was coming to an end yeah I think it it was a peculiar feeling so when um our permanent director came back we had about a month overlap because she was about part-time to start with um so that so again it was really nice to have her back and it felt like I can remember saying to her it's like I had my comfy pair of slippers back because I'd worked with her for so many years and she'd been my manager for so many years it was quite nice to have her back and and sort of I suppose start to hand over some things when I stepped into the director role, we actually temporarily shifted some of the structure underneath um, and sort of absorbed my team into others. So my role hadn't actually been, my my substantive role hadn't actually been there. So when one of our heads of actually went on maternity leave in February, it was agreed that for now until the structure was was um, was re-looked at by Louise on her return, that I'd step into that role. So I was sort of going into another temporary role. So that in itself was... I suppose it, it a bit odd because I wasn't going back into, oh, okay, I'm, I'm back now as head of community and events. Here's my team. Here's what it was, you know, a year. I've been gone a year, but not gone, <laughs> but gone from this team. It was stepping into something different. But then I was managing different teams. I was doing different things. So it felt like the continuity of doing something different has actually continued because I've been leading on some key projects that, I think if I'd gone back into my substantive role, I wouldn't necessarily have been leading on. I would have been part of. So it has felt like I'm still learning. Um, I think it wasn't until a couple of weeks after Louise was back full time that I wasn't at senior leadership team meeting every week. That was like, oh, I'm not there anymore. But actually, I still have brilliant working relationship with the directors. They still come and ask me advice for things. And and so that's great. I've been accepted back into my peer group wonderfully. Like they, they've given some wonderful feedback to me as well about being their manager for the year. Um, but yeah, it, I think the reality is, and 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 the CEO and the senior leadership team, you know, we did a lot of conversations around what they could do to ultimately to keep me and what did what did I want to do next and what did that look like as part of my personal development and the reality is I want to remain as a director and they can't offer me that um you know and I think for me you know five years at refuge I stepped in as a manager level I'm leaving as a director and in that time you know we've tripled our income we've like tenfold our supporters what we've achieved at refuge particularly what I've achieved at refuge is so amazing that it it sort of felt like it was a nice time to close the chapter as well even though it's extremely sad of course to be leaving an organization that has been part of my life for five years and but it felt like I really wanted to leave on a high and so yeah I think it it has been difficult but I think because I've been doing new different things in this sort of interim role it has still felt quite new uh, yeah I get that and then I w- I absolutely want to go back and explore what it was like actually being a director but whilst we're talking about what's going on for you now so what what have you been doing how's it been going since you made that decision that you were looking for another director role yeah so I suppose I was you know 
the beauty of having those conversations internally at Refuge is, you know, I said, I am going to start looking for another job. And I could have those conversations with our CEO and who was hugely supportive and said, you know, it's a huge loss for us if we lose you. But your personal development, you know, your, we want you to continue to be a director and, and, and give all that, you know, that you do as a leader. Um in the sector. So I've been uh, applying for jobs and interviewing, which Carla in itself is like a full-time job. And I think, I think when I first started and applied for my first job and got an interview at director level. So I suppose it's important to say at this point, this is the first time I'm externally applying for a job because obviously the director role was, you know, I was an internal candidate. Um, And I can remember going for the interview and I got to the final two and I didn't get it. And I thought, okay, that's okay. You know, I'll learn from this. It's the first one I've done externally. I don't think I realised the sort of journey I would go on. So four months I've been applying for roles. There's been eight roles that I've applied for. Um, I have learned so much about myself. I've had a huge amount of support from recruiters that I've been working with. But the it's really given me insight into the fact that that in itself is a journey and has taught me so much. I think there were definitely times in that period, you know, when you're constantly applying for jobs. I was very, very lucky in all those scenarios. I was getting interviews and I was getting to the final count, whether that be final two or final three. And there were different reasons why I wasn't getting the job. Some of the feedback I got was the other candidates had been a director for longer, you know, and that's what they were looking for. Others, it was, you know, that that another candidate had been in that particular sector of charity before. But actually the feedback I, you know, I really got was that if they had two jobs, they would offer two jobs at this point, because, you know, the, the pool of candidates was really strong. And I think something that one of the recruiters shared with me, which was really important, I think, because there was a period where I was like, should I even be applying for director roles? You know, is this having 14 months behind me actually not working to my favour? You know, what? And, and I fell into that sort of real negative pit, I suppose, of, of doubt in myself. And then when the recruiter said, you know, some of the obviously did not share who, but, you know, I was up against directors who have been directors for 10 years. I was knocking people off that top spot. And I think just to hear that and and also to hear as well that other people, other directors who are applying for roles, you know, they're four or five posts down the line and not getting them as well for all sorts of different reasons. It just really played out that actually the landscape is very, very different at the minute. And I just need to persevere. I just need to keep putting my name out there. Um, So I have now uh secured a job which is great which i'm due to start start shortly um going through obviously process at the moment before i can share that information but i think what what i didn't appreciate was when i first started i definitely think i was like oh i could i'm going to apply for this role and i'm i'm sure i'm going to get one in the first two not that it was going to be this four five month period of time where I was, again, you know, there's only so many jobs you can apply for at once because it's so, you know, I've done, what have I done? 16 individual interviews in that period of time of which each one you prepare for, whether it be a presentation, whether you're learning about the organisation, whether you're practising your questions and answers, you know, it's a lot of time you put in. But I I just, I think I just held on to the fact that I knew that some, some, something would come along and the right fit would be there for both myself and for that organization because it's just as important. Um, so, yeah. 
And I'm sure lots of people listening will be feeling your pain on that and will be either experiencing it or remembering experiencing it themselves. I like to think that jobs are a little bit like dating in that you end up with the job you're meant to have. Not necessarily that that's going to be your dream job, but perhaps it will teach you the lessons. Um, Do you feel like now that you have secured this role, does it feel like, oh, yeah, this was meant, this is why all that happened, this was meant to be? Yeah. Definitely. And I uh, I think, yeah, this role, this organisation, you know, it could not align more with absolutely everything I am about as an individual, my values, you know, that I've previously supported them as an organisation. I think you get to that point sometimes where there were roles and I did apply. And, you know, there were a couple of roles for some really big organisations. You know, it would have been a huge jump from, you know, the size of Refuge, a medium sized organisation to go to a national large organisation. And I can remember applying for one of them and thinking, I'm just going to apply for it because actually I'll learn. And I actually some of the roles I applied for that one in particular, I took as, well, let's see what happens. Let, 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 let you know. I may get some good feedback from this that will help me. And again, even with that, you know, getting to the final two, I, I, I think that gave me that boost of confidence a little bit of, wow, okay, so there was eight of us at the original and, you know, original first round, and now there's two of us and I'm one of those two. And they clearly see that I'm able to do the job and that what I'm bringing and, and my style of leadership and my vision for, for fundraising is something that they're very interested in. Um, so, yeah, I think some, some of those roles, when I look back now, I'm like, would I have really been happy there? As in not happy because the organisation, you know, anything to the organization but cause related you know it, you know i i was i am very much looking for a role that i can stay in for a you know a period of time to really i suppose broaden my skill set as a director um but it, on on hindsight some of those interviews you know you get the no and it's that feeling when you know you get that feeling in your stomach you think oh god i've got to start all over again that is definitely what i felt um and i can remember getting getting the call for the for the role that i've secured and I could, as soon as the phone started ringing, my whole body went into, and my head went into that. Here we go. It's another no, as if I was prepared for the no. And when they said yes, I don't think I could quite quite believe it. And they were saying yes. I wanted to say, can you just repeat that? Did you actually saying yes? I've actually, I've actually got the job that I wanted. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes that that panic sets in of, well, I need to get a job. I want a job. I want a director role. Let's just go for this one. But. I learned so much about so many different organisations, some of them that, you know, some organisations that I'd never actually heard of and some that I have, and I've learned a lot and actually made some great connections along the way. You know, some of those CEOs that interviewed me, I'm connected with on LinkedIn and, you know, I can learn a lot from. And I think when you get that no, it can really impact your confidence and how you feel, especially for your next interview, but also for future, you know, there's a a whole cohort of charities I've just been interviewed for. People now know who I am. And and that's the thing. I don't have that sense of, I could have quite easily actually had that sense of, well, that's an organization I could never apply for again because I didn't get that job. Um, And actually, I want to take it as an opportunity to stay connected with people that I've met as part of this interview process so that they can see how I continue on my journey. And if there's a job that comes up there at a time when it's right for me and for them, who, you know, who knows what, what the future holds. 
I, I love that. I remember applying for a job years ago and not getting it and then ended up being really good friends with the person who did get it and stayed yeah. connected to that organization. And in that same way, it is fascinating learning about new organizations. Is yeah. When you really dive into it, you're like, oh, this is actually super interesting. Yeah. And you're really embodying a growth mindset throughout all of this. And I think you know, someone might be listening going, oh, I'm not as confident as Gabby. But I think what they can learn from you is your mindset, that idea of actually I can learn from this. It's all an experience and really looking for the positives in things. And yeah. Feeling the feelings in terms of disappointment or frustration yeah. or whatever it is that's going on. And I'm delighted that you've got this exciting new role and we look forward to seeing you in action there. Now let's just take a step back and talk about being a director. You described mm-hmm. it as quite a journey. What surprised you about operating at that level? Yeah, I think the shift, for me it was definitely the shift between being a specialist in a particular area, not just necessarily special in specialism within fundraising you know fundraising being the specialism but yes there was a column within that that obviously I would say you know somebody asked me a question I'd be able to answer it in seconds suddenly I went into a role where I had to get that balance between ensuring that I was enabling my leaders to deliver the budget the program everything in fundraising and comms and being that champion for them whilst also suddenly shifting and making some really humongous risky decisions organizationally and that balance between how I spent my time how I prioritized between you know meeting with the senior leadership team every week we had you know papers how I was managing board and again a much broader remit across everything within the organization at that strategic level whilst also coaching supporting and empowering my team to to be able to deliver our section of the, the strategy around fundraising and comms I definitely think that there were some times in the first six weeks, eight weeks, that there were some scenarios that played out, particularly with my heads off, where I was sort of stepping into the detail a bit. And actually, they gave me some feedback, really helpful feedback, with very particular examples of, oh, Gabby, when this happened, this is something that I can do in my job. And it was never me it was me just trying to get used to the fact that I don't I don't need to know that level of detail anymore. I now need to trust my heads off, have the structure set in place, have that, you know, two-way communication. But also, I suppose, to share with them, like, what's important for me to know so that I don't step into the detail. And it wasn't, you know, I remember one of my heads off saying, I just feel like you don't trust me. And I can remember hearing that thinking, oh, oh my God. I never wanted you to ever feel like that. Of course I trust you. And it was actually on me and me needing to work on the fact that I needed to just change how I was getting that information. You know, I would go to the team, ask my team, where are we at with this? Where are we at with that? But actually it was a very different set of questions and information I needed, particularly then when my CEO is asking me information about things. And actually sometimes I'd be like, well, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I can find, you know, I can find it out um, because actually, you know, that's my head of philanthropy who would know the answer to that level of detail. So I think that shift between specialism to generalism and then getting that balance between how I was 
ensuring that decisions we were making around where we were going to expand our services or how we were going to change policies and processes or you know what our risk register looked like or where sort of our our progress against our strategic priorities or board recruitment all sorts of things like that organizationally how I was balancing that asking the question so I understood what decisions I was making here but also I think it was that confidence piece to to know what questions to ask, how to challenge well, how to, you know, say, yeah, I agree, we go ahead with this and feel confident that, you know, I am confident that from my perspective and my area of work and how we input into that decision, it's definitely one that I'm like, yes, I feel that that is the right decision. Um, So that was definitely one of the biggest shifts for me. It is a big one that moved from specialist to generalist. Mm. And also that, that letting go like you say, of the detail and recognize because you're you're now trusting your reputation to your team effectively. Yeah. Aren't you? And that's quite scary. And it does bring out yeah. maybe that need to kind of have a sense of control over it. And, yeah. and you have to kind of step, walk yourself back. Yeah. I can remember one of my mentors saying to me, you are now a leader of leaders. And I can remember hearing that and it absolutely changed my mindset. So I was like, oh, Yes, that is what I'm doing now with my with my heads of my director. I will lead the leaders. So that definitely helped me to realize, you know, when we were having, you know, one-to-ones, I had weekly one-to-ones with my heads off because they were the most important people to me, you know, spending that time with them, ensuring that I was supporting them, helping them if there was blockers or barriers that needed to come down or there was new opportunities and spending that time together to be able to do that so that they could through the rest of that week get on and and, and do their job um I think that that was a real a real yeah leading leader of leaders was was a, I can remember that being a point where just something in my mindset just shifted and I was like oh okay yes that is how I need to need to change I definitely think as well, I never got through so much paper in my first few weeks because I didn't know the answer to anything. So I had to write stuff down. I think that was really frustrating because I think I was so used to somebody asking me something about events, as an example, which I wouldn't even need to think about. I could do with my eyes closed. And suddenly somebody would be asking me (laughs) about something else. And I'd be like, I have. And I think as well, I was just honest about it. I said, I don't know the answer to that but we are going to find an answer to it. We will solve this together. And I think just using your active listening skills to listen to what that person's saying, what it is that the problem is so that I could really understand it, ask a lot of questions back. So I left that face-to-face meeting call to go, okay, I understand what it is we're trying to get and I can now go and speak to X or help to try and unblock that or give them advice to say, I suggest you go and speak to this person and see how that goes. That was a real shift because... I suppose I was just so used to knowing the answer because I was in this particular area of specialism and suddenly I was like, I don't know the answer to that. Um, and I, I I felt like I should have been wearing a T-shirt the first month that just said, I don't know the answer to that, but I will find the answer to that. Um, so yes, yeah, sitting in that uncomfortableness for a bit of not knowing um, was definitely, definitely hard. And wait till you get to chief exec level, which yeah. you will get to where no one knows the answer and you're sat there going, oh, I have to make this decision. I yeah. don't know which is the right choice. Right yeah. now. It totally freaked me out because I was like, oh, I 
don't have the information to make. And I think that's why having that network of mentors that I spoke about earlier was really important too, because I can remember speaking to one of them and saying, this week I have, of, of the 150 questions I've been asked, I've known the answer to like 10. Is this normal? And it was really great because they reflected back and said, well, yeah, I can remember when I became a director, like that sort of, you know, I, I think I can remember thinking that suddenly you know, I left a head of role on a Friday and started a director on a Monday. And I was and I can remember starting on the Monday and thinking, it's like there's this expectation that I've just like somehow shifted complete mindset, you know exactly how to be a director. I've got my JD. I know what the year plan is. We know what the budgets are. I know refuge because I've been I've been there for four years. So I'll just know it. And I can remember thinking to myself, I wrote a list on my first week and I wrote just a couple of things of what I need to achieve. And I had to sort of basically re-induct myself. I think that's definitely a learning for me and anyone, especially when you're already in that organisation. Like I, I, I was like, this needs to be as if it's a brand new job. There are some bits of an induction, obviously, I don't need to do. But actually, I need to treat this like a new job because it is a new job. And I don't know how processes and systems to some extent work of what I need to be doing. Um, so I spent a lot of time with with our um with our CEO and actually with her EA and some of the other peers and just ask some basic questions like, so what happens in SLT? Like, you know, I didn't know what 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 happens in the weekly meeting? What's the structure? What is it that we're doing? What is the purpose? You know, things like that that again it came back down to that asking questions which again is not easy to do because you constantly feel like you know I said earlier I just came at it with I'm just going to ask all the questions you know but when you've asked 15 questions in one two-hour meeting you do you do feel like oh god they must all be sitting there thinking shit here's Gabby asking another question but actually it was only that was only me that felt that nobody in that space nobody in that room ever said Gabby stop asking questions and if anything some of them are like it's great that you're you're you know, you're clearly asking questions because you want to do the best that you can in this role. And that's something that we really, you know, you should really pride yourself in. Um, but yeah, I think the, the the being the person that always asks the questions, I definitely could have won a t-shirt in the first month with that printed on. <laughs> uh, one of the things I found about being director is, is that thinking organisationally, rather than thinking about what's best for your team, which is where you instinctively go. Did you find yourself in any situation where you were like, okay, organizationally, the right decision is A. What would be best for my team is B, but I'm going to have to go for A because that is my job. Now, how did that feel? Yeah, we had a scenario actually in the last year in particular around this, which was really challenging. Well, I say challenge, well, it was challenging, I suppose, with those different decision-making hats on. Um, It was about taking out um, about a piece of funding, a multi-year partnership, one of the biggest we would have ever had at Refuge, with an organisation that did not necessarily align to our values. So from my team, it's like, this is a three million pound partnership that would three years, it would absolutely transform a piece of work that, you know, within, within our refuges, you know, it was an incredible opportunity, you know, that the team had spent a couple of years really building this partnership from a, an emergency donation they had given us in in COVID. Um, And then when it came to the senior leadership team and the team came and presented the opportunity and we spoke about it, there were huge amounts of questions, concerns and risks around where this particular 
funder gets their funding, how that aligns with a feminist organisation, how that aligns with our values, um, particularly around the sort of anti-racism and inclusion part of the work that we really champion. Um, And so there was a sort of very different process that then happened for the fundraising team where they engaged with all sorts of different internal key stakeholders, um, particularly within our employee network groups, um, as well as our survivor engagement panel as well, and sort of got them involved and asked some questions. And actually the decision was made, of which I do agree with at that senior leadership team level that we did we decided to not go for the funding because actually risk-wise and reputational and actually who we are as an organization outweighed um the the income we would get from it and that was a really a really interesting time because I was really torn you know the fundraiser me was like this is an amazing opportunity and could see my team saying that and how I was supporting and working with them as we went through that process and, you know, getting them involved because there's nothing, you know, the amount of work that they put into it, you know, but actually we took it as a huge learning and, and that team in the next team meeting actually fed that back as, as something that they learned. It, it, it never landed as, oh, this was a, a process we went through. We didn't get it. The decision was made. It was never, you know, this, you know, at the time my trust manager who, who's not, not with us anymore uh, at Refuge, you know, she said, this has been an amazing opportunity. Like I have learned so much, engaged with so many people, you know, and then we had to call the funder, you know, and speak to them and say that we're not, you're not going to um, be accepting, you know, this, this proposal, this opportunity. And, you know, I think that that was a, a great example of how I made that decision as organisationally, what was right for us, not just within our, within our specialism, within fundraising and comms. Um, but yeah, I think that, that split and decision making between the two is a constant thing. I, I definitely would say that in a week I would spend more of my time understanding more things organisationally than actually sometimes in my own team because within my own team I knew we knew what the business plans were, we knew what the budgets were. I had you know we had a process set up of how I met with my heads off, how we communicated, the team meetings, how we were delivering on things. So. Again, I felt very confident in the fact that actually, if I'm asked a question about what's going on in my team, I could answer that relatively well. And actually spending more of my time understanding much more across the organisation. So when I'm asked, we want to go for, you know, there's a, a service up for tender. It's a new area for us. You know, how I'm asking questions and making those decisions and, and actually how fundraising and communications can support that. You know, that's the other thing. It's not just making a decision as a director, it's okay, how is that going to impact my team? What does that mean for what we're trying to achieve this year? What does that mean longer term? And I definitely think that was a confidence thing as well that built the more times you did it. And obviously, it was a weekly thing, you know, senior leadership team meeting. So um, there are still scenarios, though, even in the last couple of months, you know, managing difficult situations you know as part of my role as director of communications you know we did have some crisis comms during that period of time and and that in itself you know managing the team and and managing a process but also that sort of managing some really big key stakeholders in that both externally our board as well you know that that in itself I think you're constantly learning. You're constantly evolving. No one ever gets it right. The first, you know, when we're doing things, and I think that's the beauty of 
what I definitely feel I brought to the senior leadership team was it was that reflection when things happen constantly looking back whether that be you know the quarter of what we've delivered whether that be a particular scenario you know within a crisis scenario always going what can we do better next time how can we make that how can we improve that is there anything to improve on I definitely think I've done a lot of that myself during that 14 months of okay well I did it like that would I have done it different next time and I would say Carla there was so many examples where I've said to myself actually I would have done it different um I didn't do anything you know what I did was was fine for what I knew at that time but I think it's just that constant evolving to be To be, to be the best support I can be for my direct line reports, that's ultimately what I'm trying to do. You know, I will constantly learn myself, but actually, are they getting what they need to be able to, to feel empowered to own and deliver their areas of work in their job? Fantastic. Very, very inspiring. Now, I have a personal question, well, just something of personal interest to me, which is obviously you've been working for a women's charity. Do, hmm. do you think there are any distinct cultural differences about that because I talk a lot about patriarchy and gender bias in the workplace and obviously some of those things are not playing out because at the time all of your senior leadership team were women is that yes, correct? Yes that's correct. Was there anything refreshingly different about working for a women's charity? I think what I think what was interesting about and I've thought about this because actually the senior leadership team changed through that year so we did actually um, our uh, interim director of corporate services um, was a or is he's, he's only just left us uh, as a man um, I definitely think that being a, a a young woman myself and stepping into that that um, group of peers of women there definitely was that oh, I had that feeling and it, this was my feeling of like these incredible women and and how could I even compete and how could I be as amazing as these women that I'm going to be working with and I definitely felt that especially as everybody was you know um there were all female directors I do sometimes reflect and think would I have felt differently if there was more of a mix would I have naturally gone more to get support from the women in my peer group rather than the men but what the real shift was is when our our interim director of corporate services start had absolutely fantastic relationship with him and learned so much from him and if anything I actually started talking to him more weekly than some of my other peers and just getting a really different perspective I definitely think that you know we at Refuge hugely champion anybody in our organization around their personal development and I think that because I was given this opportunity for me it was you know I I had to come at it 100 miles you know 100% take this opportunity because when I compare it to the process I've just been through externally with interviews and being interviewed by all sorts of different people from different sectors that have maybe stepped in as CEOs, not been in the sector long or have been, were fundraisers themselves, not fundraisers, and that whole mix. I think that the confidence I have been able to build in myself over this last year, and I definitely think there is something about that that peer support being female, um, has definitely enabled me to probably feel more confident more quickly um the sort of ways I was being challenged the dynamics of that group obviously is very different to whether that would have been predominantly male or half half you know it is very different 
we were, we are, they are a very ambitious group of women. And I think sometimes that you can get to that place where that feeling of not, you know, when, when you don't make the right decision or where, you know, I think about things within my own areas, decisions that I made that maybe weren't quite the right decision or what did I learn from that? I think sometimes having that space to talk about it, it did feel safer. Now, I'm obviously can't compare that to any other senior leadership team as this was my first role. So I can't say, would I have felt that I could be that open and honest and share that in another group of directors with a very different makeup? Um, But I think, I, I will say, I think being in this, you know, a feminist organization, securing my next job, which is of a very similar, <laughs> similar values, similar leadership style. I definitely think that's obviously a, a place that I particularly work well in and um, thrive in, definitely. And it's clearly my leadership style um, as well. Fantastic. And we've, we've covered a lot here. And thank you so much for your honesty. Just to finish it off, it would be great to just think about, I mean, I know there's so many things, but one thing that you wish you had known when you first stepped into that role, a piece of advice maybe for someone else who's stepping into their first director role. I think I'd really wish that I'd spoken to somebody who was a director to understand a bit more about the differentiation of what actually a director role is. Because I think I didn't necessarily have that conversation, just suddenly went into Monday morning, being a director, going to senior leadership team meetings. And it did take me a while to, I can remember the first few weeks, constantly by the end of the week or at the weekend, I'd meet friends and I'd be like, I just don't feel I've done anything this week. You know, I feel like I hadn't, and and I think because there were so many questions and really trying to get my head around that shift I think if I'd had that conversation and I would I would welcomely have this conversation with anybody of that. OK, so when you go into this role, the real difference is a, a very practical side, I think, is what I'm trying to say. It's like, you know, you will be very used to making decisions about your budget, your team. And actually, what does that mean? And how within that role, you know, my role of director of finance and comms, how my views and thoughts and inputs organisationally, how that works I think it was more the practicalities and process um, that I would have to understand as a director more so than anything else, I think was what definitely one learning I would have. Brilliant. And thank you for offering to have that conversation. I think you might actually get flooded with offers, so you might want to walk that back a little bit. Um, if people do want to get in touch with you, just to say it's a great episode, you do not have to request for a cabbie's time. Um, but if people want to get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, feel free to follow me. There's loads on there on my post about all the reflections I've done as a leader over the year. So hopefully, you know, covering 25 different, I don't think I quite realised how many things I spoke about, but 25 different subjects from things like feeling overwhelmed to well-being to confidence. Um, yeah, there's lots of different things that I covered. But yeah, fo- do follow me on LinkedIn and, and yeah, feel free to connect and, and message. Definitely. I definitely have a read of those posts. I really enjoyed reading them. Gabby, thank you so much for sharing your insights. And when we were chatting um, before we started recording, you said something really powerful to me, which was, I think I was put on this earth to do good. Um, And I absolutely love that. Really, really resonates with me as well. And I think you've done a lot of good 
in taking the time initiating this episode and being so honest with your insights so a big thank you from me but also from everybody listening thank you Carla thank you for the opportunity it's been wonderful talking to you this morning Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're not already subscribing, please do so so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want to go deeper on the topics that we talk about here on the podcast, on confidence, self-doubt, imposter feelings, increasing your influence, being better at leading, then there are a few avenues that you can take. The simplest is to get yourself a copy of my book, Closing the Influence Gap. If you love this podcast, it is crazy if you don't already own that book because it's got so much of the content from the podcast in a really accessible way and so many practical tools and strategies. It's basically a practical guide for women leaders who want to be heard in the workplace. You can grab a copy in any uh, bookstore. Now, we also run a couple of open programs. Uh, We run them once or twice a year each. There is Be Bolder, our four-week confidence and assertiveness course, which is suitable for women at any level. And then there's also Influence and Impact, which is our Women's Leadership Development Program. That's a three-month small group cohort working closely with me. And then my team and I also work in-house in organisations. Sometimes that's working with women leaders, whether that's running a whole women's leadership program or running one of our really popular masterclasses for women leaders. Sometimes it's working with early to mid-career women, where we're often sharing our Be Bolder confidence and assertiveness program. We also offer gender neutral versions of that, which are becoming increasingly popular because women aren't the only people experiencing confidence challenges. And then finally, we do work with allyship and supporting men to help bring about gender equity in the workplace as well. So if you are heading up a team or a department or within your organization, you're responsible for the people function or L&D and would like to have a chat about how we can work together, I would absolutely love that. And you can go to my website and book a call. Or if it's simpler, head on over to LinkedIn. Let's connect and let's chat there. I would love to take working with you to the next level um, and help you to become an organization that retains and develops and supports the talented women that work for you.